morning, Sun Valley. Good to be with you again, finally, somewhat face-to-face. -face. It's uh, a little risky having a room full of masked people, but uh, we'll do our best to figure this out. It is uh, so good to be with you, though. Last hour was the first hour that I've preached to a room with people in it for the last four months. Um, it's been a little difficult adjusting to the, the Cyclops camera in front of me as my only audience, but um, <clears throat> the Lord has blessed all these things and uh, we feel encouraged just to be able to be able to move forward as, as he deems that we ought, and including this time of separation because of the pandemic. You know, God has been faithful, hasn't he? Um, and here we are, and be able to see each other and worship together and and I think be encouraged, even if it's not as much as we would like in the, in the form that we would like, but uh, I think we've been blessed just to be able to have what we have now, and so we're, we're grateful. It's amazing that you have a different perspective when something's taken away, don't you? Yeah, and so we have that perspective now. Thankfully, uh, even though we took a, a three-week detour, we're back in Philippians this morning, so if you have your Bible, I'd like to ask you to keep it open to Philippians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 19 particularly. And I, I've been praying that the Lord would, would guide our thinking and our, and our uh, minds and hearts as we look at these verses before us. <clears throat> uh, an American novelist <clears throat> once said, Children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them." End quote. Part of human nature is the practice of imitation, right? This is what we do well. Uh, having an example to follow is one of the most helpful things in life. In fact, I think that's why YouTube is so popular. We can actually go there, look at something we'd like to learn or do, and voila, there it is. And I've done this numerous times. To, in, doing projects around the house. I don't know how to do it. I go on YouTube, watch it a few times, and I go do it. Um, and it's been very helpful. So if you want to learn any kind of skill, you can go to YouTube, and just by watching and imitating, you can become fairly proficient at that. Most of us learn best by this idea of observation. Watching someone fix a leaky faucet, if, you, if you're paying attention, you can do it yourself. Watching someone throw a curveball, if you're paying attention, you can do it yourself. And it, it gets into more serious things in life, too. Although I think some of you probably think throwing a curveball is pretty important. Uh, we, we've got other things that we learn by observation, like parenting, right? We, we watch people who are successful at this, and we can become proficient at it. Or watching someone pray, or teach, or lead a small group. Or, or love their spouse through a difficult, challenging time. We learn from those things, don't we? Why? Because we're imitators. We do this well. We do it all the time. One reason that, that we love biographies, I should say the one reason I love biographies, maybe you don't, but one reason I love biographies is that in them we have great examples to imitate. Uh, reading about the lives of the Puritans encourages us to be more serious about our walk with Christ. Reading the biographies of, of of missionaries that have gone before us encourage us to give up things and sacrifice for the cause of Christ as they did. Reading Winston Churchill helps us plow through the challenges of leadership that are necessary in difficult times. 
We learn through imitation. So let me read for you again, verses 17 through 19, and I want to help you see what Paul thought about this concept of imitation. Listen to these verses one more time. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So here we have Paul's concept of imitation and why it's important in the Christian life. We all respond to examples. This is what humans do. We can't help but be influenced by them. If, if they're modeling something that we desire to do or to be, we pay attention, close attention. We are influenced by examples that we don't want to follow, even if we're not trying to follow. Paul wanted the Philippian believers, if you've been with us throughout this whole uh, series in Philippians, Paul wants these Philippians to imitate his joyful gospel partnership. He wants them to be joyful gospel partnerships. And he says, here, follow my example in this. Become like me. And then, of course, he also adds those that ought to be avoided. And that's where I want to start this morning. I want to start in verses 18 and 19 and then move back to verse 17 towards the end of this sermon. But let's look at verses 18 and 19 again where he talks about these folks that he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. That sounds serious, doesn't it, to you? Enemies of the cross of Christ? It is serious. Now, this is the first point, avoiding bad examples. Paul gives us these bad examples to help us avoid them. So in every area of life, there are those whose example, are, whose example is good and we should imitate it, and then there's those whose example is bad that we need to avoid it. Paul calls these examples the enemies of the cross, the bad ones. And in, in verses 18 through 19, these evidently, these enemies of the cross, were part of the Philippian church and they were pretending to be something they weren't. They were claiming to be Christians, but they really weren't. They were false Christians by Paul's definition, either by self-deception or by intentional deceiving of others. They were false Christians. And so false Christians, as you know if you've been in the church long, are always a danger to two true Christians who are trying to follow Jesus. These enemies of the cross were consumed with the world and were trying to draw others into their lifestyle. Uh, when someone lives in that gray area, that, that uncertain, questionable area of Christian liberty, they always want company. Have you noticed that? That when there's someone who's always pushing the envelope in the church, always trying to live in the, on the front end of Christian liberty, they're always wanting participants to join them. Why? Because that company assures them that they might be doing the right thing. They, they, it gives them comfort and confidence. And in that process, Paul is concerned that it'll corrupt the church and lead some away from Christ. When one of these false Christians gains particular prominence in a local church, you can imagine what can happen. One of these people who claims Christ but really isn't in Christ or a Christian, it's a recipe for chaos and, and disaster, really, in a local church. False teachers who Paul addressed back in verse 1, uh, Philippians 3, called them dogs. You remember that? Not a big, he's not a big fan of false teachers. Um, 
but these false teachers who profess Christ, but their lives didn't match their profession, I think are probably included in Paul's category of enemies of the cross of Christ. But I think Paul's primary focus here, the ones he had in mind, were the average layman who claimed Christ but had little or no fruit in their lives and yet seemed to have influence in the local church. Paul wanted to alert these Philippians, these young believers, of that danger and us of that danger. False believers are always a hindrance to the life of the church and impede our spiritual growth. Those of us who are trying to follow Christ, a false Christian comes along and taints the waters. It impedes our pursuit of Christ personally. It, it, it impedes the spiritual growth of genuine believers. And I think this is the reason that Paul, in his other letters, demands that these type of people be dismissed from the church. They're false believers who bring damage to the local body. Charles Spurgeon, I'm sure many of you have heard this story, but Spurgeon tells the story of a drunkard who saw him on the street and yelled out at him saying that he was a convert of Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon replied to him, you must be a, one of my converts because certainly you're not one of Christ's. In Titus chapter 2 verse 14, Paul says this about this important issue to Titus. He said, Jesus gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Did you see why you're saved? Did you see why Jesus came What he told Titus? The reason Jesus came and died on the cross was to redeem us from lawlessness, to purify us unto good works. If I'm not redeemed from these things, if I'm not purified for these other things, there's a likelihood that I'm in the category of an enemy of the cross, I think Paul would say, despite my profession. So the question that I want you to consider before we move into the details is this, does my life clearly confirm that I believe that Jesus died for me? Does my life clearly confirm that I believe that Jesus died for me. Not just that my sins are forgiven, but that he died for me and he died to redeem me from lawlessness. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 and Titus 2, 14 help remove the mystery from why people do what they do. I, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I wonder, why does so-and-so do this? Why, why do they keep doing that? Um, but... These, these two passages, Philippians 3, 17 through 19, Titus 2, 14, they remove that mystery. And, and here's why. Everyone does what they do because they believe what they do. Everyone does what they do because they believe what they do. This shows the importance of knowing and embracing sound doctrine. The reason we attempt to teach you sound doctrine week after week is not just so that you'll gain in your knowledge of sound doctrine and reflect to you what the Bible's teaching, but because we know, specifically by what we're studying this morning, that sound doctrine results in changed behavior. If you'll embrace the doctrines of Scripture as taught in Scripture, your life will change. We, we teach this because it influences you. It influences your affections. It changes your heart. The reason that you love your neighbor to give you an example, is because that's what Christ did. The reason you love your spouse through difficult times is because you believe that marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his church. 
And how did Christ love his church? What did Paul say? While you were still sinners, Christ died for you, church. And, and so we have these rebellious sinners being loved by Jesus Christ into his family. So we can put up with a little discomfort from our spouses from time to time, can't we? Why? Because we believe that our marriages picture Christ's love for his church. We actually believe that. And to give you another example, why are you honest at work or why are you honest doing your taxes? It's just you in the room with your pencil when you're doing your taxes. Why do you have to be honest? Well, we believe what the Bible teaches about the character of Christ. We actually believe that. It's not okay to be dishonest. Why are we kind to people? Because we believe what Jesus said about being kind and loving and patient with one another. So if you're dishonest and unloving, what's that mean? You don't believe what Jesus taught. You don't believe Jesus' character. That's what that means. Paul would say that places you in the category of an enemy of the cross. This is serious business. We just can't love Jesus. So many people, you know, want to attend a church where they just love Jesus and not all wrapped up in doctrine. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is doctrine. Jesus is doctrine. We must know Jesus if we want our lives to reflect Jesus. We must know the doctrine of Jesus. We must know his deity, his two natures, his condescension, his lordship, his mediation. Why? Because these things, these doctrines of Jesus, help us live the life of Christ. That's what, that's what we must embrace. See, this happens because our conduct and our attitudes never happen in a vacuum. They are always an overflow of what we believe. You act the way you do because you believe what you do. Paul argues for the consistency between these two things, believing and acting, all over the scriptures, between faith and practice, between what you believe and how you live, he, he constantly is coming back to that. The necessity of these two things being united in unison. It's highly inconsistent to say that you believe that Jesus came to deliver us from our sin and darkness and yet continue to live in sin and darkness. Paul said that it's false belief. You're fooling yourself if you believe that, that Jesus came to die for your sin and, and, and take care of your lawlessness and then continue to live an unrepentant life. Paul says that doesn't work. That's false belief. So a person's conduct is the final word on the authenticity of their profession. I want you to hear that, and I'm going to say it again. A person's conduct is the final word on the authenticity of their profession. These enemies of the cross in verse 19 were, all, were most likely what we would call antinomian libertines. Not two common words that we would use, so I'll, I'll interpret them for you. And by the way, these type of people, antinomian libertines, are abundant even in churches today. Antinomian refers to those who are anti, anti, or against the law. Antinomian, antinomos, against the law. They're quick to cry legalism and point out legalists in the church. Anytime someone tries to walk the straight and narrow that Jesus taught, that's what you hear. Legalist. 
A libertine is someone who is morally unrestrained. They're antinomian libertines. They, they argue that since we're saved by grace, there's no need for the law in the Christian life, and we are free to do whatever comes naturally. Since Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin, we can do whatever we want, and it really doesn't matter. Antinomian libertine. Anyone who believes that the pursuit of holiness in the life of a believer is unnecessary would fall into this category and ultimately into the category we see in verse 18 and 19, an enemy of the cross. See, the danger, of course, is the corruption of the church, Christ's bride. How many of you men would put up with a corrupt bride? None of us. Right? I'm not saying your wife is perfect, although I'm sure some of you think that. I'm saying if you're walking down the aisle and you know that this person is corrupt, it's not happening. Right? You want your bride to be pure. And that's exactly what Christ wants. He wants us, his bride, to be pure. John the Apostle spoke of a related thing in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, f- the love of the Father is not in him. So in order to help us identify bad models <clears throat> uh, and avoid them, Paul gave us four marks of enemies of the cross. Identifying bad models so that we can avoid them, he gives us four identifying marks. And, and the reason this is important is the same reason that you want to be sure to be able to identify poison oak. I have a cousin who didn't do that. He didn't have the clue what poison oak looked like. And he is highly affected by it. And he was literally rolling around in it one day and woke up the next morning. I don't even know how to look like a mango. He looked like a mango, a human mango. And it's because he didn't identify the danger of poison oak. Paul wants you to be able to identify bad examples so that you can avoid them. And he lists them here in verse 19. There's four of them. I want to walk through them with you. First is, they'll be destroyed. You see that first phrase, verse 19? They'll be destroyed. What does this mean? This is helpful because it simply means they're unsaved. (laughs) Because Christians won't be destroyed. Only people destroyed are those who don't know Christ, the unsaved. So these people, obviously, these enemies of the cross, these uh, people who we want to, example we want to avoid, uh, aren't really saved. They may talk a good line. Most of them do talk a good line, but ultimately they don't know Jesus. They know about Jesus. In fact, some of these that, that we see in the church particularly are versed in Scripture. They know the scriptures. They can quote you scriptures, especially when it comes to defending their questionable behavior. You ever notice that? So the first mark that we need to be aware of is that these folks will be destroyed. They're unsaved. Secondly, their God is their belly. All sorts of pictures come to your mind, right? Well, this doesn't mean they were overweight. It means that they were guided by their appetites. They were guided by their appetites. And not just their appetite for food, but whatever they wanted to pursue, they did it. They, they were hedonist, purely, and saw nothing wrong with it. 
they thought things like this. If my body's craving it and I'm built by God, then my desires are meant to be satisfied. Makes total sense, right? <laughs> Except that Paul's calling them bad examples. Here it says this in Jude 4. Listen closely. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, listen to how Jude identifies them, who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. That's the first thing he says, pervert the grace of God into sensuality. In other words, antinomian libertines, they, they don't care. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And secondly, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Do you want to grow in your walk with Christ and prevent being tripped up? Do you want to avoid this particular type of bad example? Then listen, avoid those who don't seem to have any discipline or restraint and want to defend questionable behavior. Avoid them. This is what Paul is saying. Avoid those who don't seem to have any discipline or restraint and want to defend questionable behavior. The third mark that we see here in verse 19 is that they seem to be proud of their sin. Did you notice that? He said their glory is their shame, or they, yeah, they glory in their shame. What would normally make you and I blush? They glory in it. That's odd, isn't it? And yet, these folks were in the Philippian church. They, they tried to not just uh, glory in their shame, they tried, tried to entice others to join them so that there's a measure of comfort and protection for their practices. They, 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 they claim Christian liberty and, and actually talk down on those who would want to discourage that. So, do you want to grow in your walk with Christ and prevent from being tripped up? Do you want to avoid this kind of example? Then this, listen, avoid those who flaunt what they call Christian liberty. Avoid also those who try to get you to join them in this questionable activity. Avoid them. Fourth and final, Mark, identifying Mark of an enemy of the cross, is seen at the end of verse 19. See what he says? Their minds are on earthly things. Now, this particular mark is important because this mark is actually more than a mark. It's the cause of their own deception. It's the cause of their enemy status. What is it? Their minds are set on earthly things. They think about earthly stuff, mundane stuff all the time and nothing else. All that there is to them is this world, this life. That life, the things of God, the things beyond death are meaningless to them. Their minds are focused, set on the things of this world. What's Paul saying? Their beliefs are in view. Their beliefs are in view. They actually don't believe the spiritual things we read of in Scripture. They simply believe what they can see, touch, smell, taste, experience. James, remember that guy that we, we read his book or his letter about a year ago or so? He talks about the very same thing. He says this in chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, there's a clue it's going to be bad. <laughs> you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world, having, being earthly minded, friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's an enemy of Christ if you're a friend with the world? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Exactly the same concept. Now, do you want to grow in your walk with Christ and prevent being tripped up? Do you want to avoid bad examples? Then avoid those who are earthly minded. Those whose minds are set on earthly things are those who are consumed with this world to the exclusion of anything spiritual. These people are always concerned about what people think of them. So they're always working hard at making a good impression. They're dependent on the praise of men. Their conversation is always about the mundane. Not that the mundane is wrong, it's just that's all there is to them. Sports, cars, money, etc. All this superficial, mundane stuff. If they ever do talk about spiritual things, it seems hollow. It just rings hollow, doesn't it? Their focus is on the world and not on Christ. Make much of him. Now, to help you stay with me, because you're breathing in carbon monoxide, whatever that stuff called, I'm going to ask you to just take your mask down and take two or three deep breaths and then put your mask back up because I can see some of you are fading already. And I'm pretty sure it has something directly to do with the lack of oxygen passing into your brain. Can't be my preaching. Okay, whenever you're ready. And by the way, whenever you want to take a breath, feel free to take a few. <clears throat> Let's move to the second, the second point. We're moving back up to verse 17 now. Back up to verse 17. We've talked about how the reason that it's so important to avoid bad examples, because they're enemies of the cross. Let's move back up to 17 and look at the importance of imitating good examples. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Having good role models or mentors in your life is important, very important. I'm going to try to make that point here repeatedly in the next few minutes. Following godly examples is the path to becoming godly yourself. Paul said, keep your eyes on these folks. Another way to say it would be, fix your gaze on them. Be focused on those whose daily walk reflects Christ. We had a cat. <clears throat> I know that's hard to believe, but we used to have a cat uh, that would sit over a gopher hole in our pasture for hours without moving. You ever seen that? This, cats will sit there and watch gopher holes it seems like they got the patience of Job sitting there looking at that hole. Why? For the reward. They're fixed on that. They don't want to miss any chance to pounce on that thing and get their, their prize. Paul said to do that very same thing with godly examples. Watch them closely. Fix your eyes on them. Don't miss a thing. Watch how the gospel is worked into every nook and cranny of their life. Watch how they respond to disappointment and trials. Watch how they handle their money, how they handle their children, how they love people. Fix your eyes on those people, Paul is saying. And he gives himself as exhibit A. In verse 17, he says, imitate me. Imitate me. Evidently, Paul had a few that were imitating him because he said, join me. Join them that are imitating me. And by the way, he wasn't shy about letting people know that they should imitate and watch him closely. Most of us aren't brave enough to say that kind of stuff. The Apostle Paul knew exactly 
his role in the life of the church and the life of Christians. And so he said, watch me closely. Watch every single thing I do, everything I say, everything I think, and imitate me. He said this to the Corinthians, I urge you then, be imitators of me. If you flip over one page to chapter 4, verse 9, he says it again here in this, to this group of Christians. Besides saying it in verse 17, he says it in verse 9, just a couple paragraphs later. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Do this. Watch me. Follow my lead. Follow my example. Now here in verse 17, join in imitating me. So what is there, is the question, what is there to imitate in Paul? Let's just stay, there's a lot, but let's just stay in the book of Philippians, in the letter of Philippians, just in this immediate context even. And I want to show you what is worthy of imitation in this man's life so that we can avoid bad examples and follow good ones. That's in focus here today. What is there, imi there worth imitating in Paul's life? First is this, seen in verses 12 and 13 of this same chapter. Imitate Paul's humility. Imitate Paul's humility. Paul had a wondrous humility. Even though he's saying, follow me, imitate me, his humility was just overflowing. As much as Paul had to be proud of, he wasn't proud at all. He demonstrated this over and over again in his writings. He called himself the chief of what? Sinners. He called himself the least of the apostles. This man was a humble man. And even when he was condemning people like he did here in verse 18 and 19, and back in chapter 1, those guys that were trying to disrupt his ministry, when he's condemning people even, even in his most harshest condemnations in the New Testament, he says he does it with tears. People who deserve condemnation makes him weep. He's a humble man. Very humble. Then I want you to look at verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read them for you. Now that, not that I have already obtained this. What's that? Perfect intimacy with Christ. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make Christ my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I press on. He acknowledged that he hadn't arrived. The apostle, the apostle, who, who's written over half the New Testament, says this in his own writings. I haven't arrived. Paul is humble. You and I need to model that. We need to imitate that. Secondly, in verse 15 of this chapter, I want you to see that we need to imitate Paul's knowledge. We imitate his humility. Let's imitate his knowledge. Verse 15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Think like me. I've laid it out in this, in this letter to you. I want you to think like this. So let's imitate Paul's knowledge. And, and why is Paul saying this? Because he knows what I've been saying. Right thinking and right behavior go together. Right thinking and right behavior always go together. What I mean is that what we believe will always determine our conduct. Paul and his companions lived the way they did because they believed what they did. They had mature Christian minds. 
In the same way that what comes out of our mouth is an overflow of the heart, so the way that you act is an overflow of what you truly believe. Whether you're a godly person or an ungodly one, you simply live out your beliefs in daily practice. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, then your life reflects that, don't you think? If you believe that you're Lord, it looks differently, doesn't it? If you believe that Jesus is of supreme value, you act differently than if the world were of more value. Don't you? Yeah. You live out what you believe. Thirdly, besides imitating Paul's humility and knowledge, I want you to look at verses 10 and 11 and 13 of this same chapter. I want you to see the importance of imitating Paul's passion for Jesus. Did Paul have a passion for Jesus? Let me tell you. Look at verse 10. That I may know him. Paul already knew him. What's he saying? I want to know him intimately. I want to know him more, more and more. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Whatever it takes to be like Jesus, to be around Jesus, I want that. Is what Paul was saying passion for Jesus, a passion to become like him. And then finally, what else can we imitate in Paul's life? His sacrificial service, his sacrificial love. And I'll take you out of the chapter here to chapter 2, verse 17. You have a Bible? Turn and look at verse 17 of chapter 2. Paul says this about sacrificial service and love to other believers. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul was not unwilling to pour out his life for the church, for Christians. Paul loved them deeply and was willing to sacrifice anything for them to the point of doing this very thing, pouring out his actual life. He died. He died in prison in Rome by being beheaded for the Philippian Christians. He loved them to the point of pouring out his life for them. The reason that there are so many one another's in the New Testament is because they are means to and evidence of loving Jesus. You want to know how to love Jesus? What did Jesus say about that? You want to have evidence of loving Jesus? What did Jesus and Paul and every other author of the New Testament say about that? If you do it to the least of these, what did Jesus say? You do it unto me. So, you want to demonstrate your love for Jesus? You lovingly, sacrificially serve one another. If Jesus were in town and needed to move, would you show up that Saturday with your truck? I guarantee you would. I'm going to go help Jesus move. That might be more about you in your mind than Jesus, but still you would be there, right? How about your neighbor who needs to be moved? Ah, can't get my truck started. Eh, I'm busy on Saturday. I've got to mow my lawn. Friends, what Jesus has said, what Paul has emphasized all over the New Testament is that how you demonstrate your love for Jesus is by loving his people. Copy that. Imitate that. 
Next we see here at the end of verse 17, an element that's important. He says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who are the us? The plural us. It's those he's already has mentioned in the letter. It's Timothy, Epaphroditus, maybe even Silas, who they already knew. You remember Silas, he was with Paul when he first came to Philippi and planted the church. Silas was the one who gave up his freedom and was in prison with Paul to start the Philippian church. He also sacrificed lovingly for these folks. He says, imitate those also who are worthy of imitation. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Silas. This is important. Are you worthy of imitation? If the Apostle Paul were thinking through the people at Sun Valley Church, would he say yes and pay special attention to so-and-so? Fix your eyes on them. They will teach you a lot about what it means to be a joyful gospel partner. Keep your eye on her. She will, tell you, she will show you how to serve. Watch closely him. Follow him around. He, he'll teach you how to pray and love. Would your name be on that list if Paul were writing it? Pay special attention to this person. They're worth imitating. Imitate. It's a biblical mandate. We should imitate others, and others should be imitating us. I, I've split this concept of imitation into two parts to help you kind of strategically pursue good examples. Okay, so follow me. You have to pay close attention if you're going to get it, but it actually is pretty simple. This is simply to help you think about who to follow, who to imitate. I have the ancient godly triumphant. The ancient godly triumphant. Those who are already in glory with Christ. The ancient godly triumphant. Now, in that group, the ancient godly triumphant, there's two subgroups. Those who are distanced, that means a long ways away, like King David, like Daniel, all the way up to people maybe as close as Luther. That's the ancient, distant, godly triumphant. Those who are with God, but they're a long ways back. They're way away. They're distant. There are things in their lives that you ought to be imitating. Imitate David's quickness to repentance. Imitate Daniel's dependence on prayer. Imitate Augustine's commitment to sound theology. Imitate Luther's passion and zeal for the gospel. Imitate the distant, godly, triumphant. And then imitate the ancient, godly, triumphant who were nearer than those folks I just mentioned. People that maybe were in the last century or two, but are still with God and glory, like Hudson Taylor. Is there something there you might be able to imitate? Read his biography. How about Jim Elliot? Is there something there you could imitate? Yeah. Read in the shadow of the Almighty by his late wife, Elizabeth Elliot. I think you'll find something to imitate. Friends, we need to be imitating the ancient, godly, triumphant. Read them. Imitate them. And then secondly, the second category is I want you to imitate the contemporary, godly, militant. 
It's a way to describe those who were still in the battle, those who were still walking the journey, those who were still sojourning, alive. But there's distant ones who are a ways away, but they're still breathing, they're still following Christ, they're still worthy of your imitation, like John Piper, his passion for Jesus. Is that worthy of imitation? Johnny Erickson Tata, her commitment to the church. John MacArthur, his love for the scriptures. That's the imitation of the contemporary godly militant distant. They're not in this town, they're distant. But there's also the necessity of imitating the contemporary godly militant near people in this church who you ought to be imitating. The pastors, the elders, the small group leaders, the people who serve diligently all over the place in this body, lovingly, sacrificially. Do you know them? Are you rubbing shoulders with them? Are you imitating them? Paul said, keep your eye on them. Fix your gaze on those who are serving like this. And then before, this sermon would be incomplete unless I included this last point, and that is this. Be an example. Be a godly example. Don't just look for the godly examples. You should certainly do that, but be the godly example. I've had so many conversations about this, and I can't keep track of them. I'm probably thinking hundreds uh, since my time in ministry. I'd have either a young man or a young woman come up to me and say, I'm looking, looking for that godly spouse. I'm looking for that person who will just lead me in the scriptures. and I'll, that, that woman who will support me in my, in my family, in my job, in my ministry, in the local. I just need that godly individual to be my spouse. I've heard that a hundred times. Here's my response that I can remember every time. Why don't you try being that person? And maybe you'll find that person. Be the example. Be that individual who you're seeking. And then you'll attract people who are just like you. Live a life worthy of imitation, Sun Valley Church. It's important to understand that we are to be examples of godliness to those around us. Starting with those in our immediate family and moving outward to include those in our church and in our daily routines, work, play, etc., We are to be those people. Paul thinks that many of the important things in the Christian life are caught as much as taught. Why do you think Jesus came to spend three years with his disciples? They had the word. He could have given the word through Paul. But Jesus showed what? To example what it means to lovingly lead people. This is the primary principle of mentoring and modeling. Rub shoulders with people regularly. Be connected to godly examples. Be godly examples. So who are you imitating? Of the godly militant crowd. Of the godly triumphant crowd. Who are you imitating? You should have somebody that you could quickly reference. I I love this guy, or I love her, her example. I try to do this in my life because I read this about her or him. Who are you imitating? And then secondly, who's imitating you?
Are you worthy of imitation? What would our church look like if it was full of people just like you? This is important to think about. This is what Paul was saying in verses 17 through 19. Both are critically important for the health of the church and for your own spiritual health. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that, that your spirit has uh, left these encouragements in your word that we might uh, hear them, embrace them. I ask that, that you would help each of us to um, avoid bad examples and pursue and embrace good examples. I pray that we would intentionally seek out those that we can imitate like the Apostle Paul and his companions and, and those who are ancient triumphant and those who are ancient milit or in the, the, the militant who are currently with us. I pray that we would each find people who we could imitate. And beyond that, Father, I also pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, Jesus, I pray that you would cause us, because of our spiritual growth, because of the way we think, that we would be worthy of imitation ourselves. Bless us, Father, as we seek to pursue godly examples and seek to be godly examples as a church. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.